MNK Talk YA now presents Two Dark Reigns Part 2 of the Three Dark Crown series by Kendare Blake. to another episode of M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we read... Here we go. <laughs> book, the second half of Two Dark Reigns, which is the third book in the Three Dark Crowns quadrology. Did I, get, did I get that right? By Ken Darebrook. Yes. Okay. That's great. <laughs> this one actually, like, there were more similar ones, because I guess last time we were doing the first half, and this time it was the second half. So I was like, wait, I'm saying the same number twice. That's wrong. But I was actually right. Okay. It took me forever to record the intro to the last episode we did. You know how we always have <laughs> yep. to be like, now presents. Oh my god, I, ha- I, did- I had to take like five tries to get it right. <laughs> it's actually ridiculous how many times I have to like write it out or something, considering we do that every week. And yep. Yeah. It's not easy. But yeah, we finished book three. One more to go. And it's not even out yet. It comes out, well, I guess when this episode is posted, it will have just come out. Yes. That's true. And um, we could have timed it a little bit better, but I actually like how it worked out because we have a week to read the short stories that accompany this series, and we're going to do those next week. So I always like when we have some short stories, and I think you said these are longer ones, so I think there's yeah. like enough substance to get into They're it. both over 100 pages, so... Oh, whoa, okay, yeah, cool. They're like novellas, but... Um, oh man, I'm gonna have to start reading today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be quick, especially because okay. it's two stories. But we'll talk about that more at the end. But okay. But yeah, what do you think of book three as a whole? <sighs> okay, I have enjoyed this series thus far. My biggest problem is I feel like things are starting to go a little haywire, and things are just starting to happen that don't really make sense to me or don't seem to be like grounded in anything and it's a little bit frustrating because I like to be able to predict a certain amount of what's going to happen in a book or at least you kind of feel like you're being led to a certain path or to a certain conclusion and I feel like with this book I have no idea what's going to happen next because the rules that I thought were rules like no longer apply Yep. and it just seems like anything's possible and when anything's possible you start to lose me. Yep. Is that kind of how you feel too? Yeah, although I think my biggest issue with this book is it just felt very much like a middle book. And I think I talked about this when we read the second book and maybe even last week. But like the second one, I felt like the pacing was awesome and the action was good. And like between the three queens, like stuff was happening and moving along. And then this book, I feel like it was a lot of like background info because again, to your point, they're like changing the rules. So they have to give some information about it. And I sort of felt like Besides, like, the very last couple scenes, nothing really happened. And so I'm hopeful that book four gets back to that, like, good pacing where I'm, like, interested in what's going on instead of just, like, I don't know, this background information or this recreating the world almost. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I I normally like to get the background information because... Last week I was I said I was really curious to learn more about Daphne and the Blue Queen and the suitors and Henry and all that stuff and and we did learn more about it but what we learned kind of didn't make sense to me and mm-hmm. I don't know it it just got to be so fantastical that I was just like I I have no idea what's going to happen next. I mean, we have that scene where you know the Daphne Daphne tells Arsinoe to go to Mount Horn to mm-hmm. kind of learn some something that she wants her to learn. And I thought it was really strange how we learn about how the mist was created. And I still don't understand it. Yeah. Okay, let's dig into that a little bit. So okay. we initially learned that the Blue Queen created the mist to protect the island from the attack of a spurned suitor. Like, that's mm-hmm. what we learned. Okay. I don't even think we knew it was a spurned suitor at first. But yes, oh, one of the mainland countries. Yes. Right. 
And then we have the scene when they finally go to Mount Horn and they go in the cave and they see the scene where um, Daphne is disguised as the Blue Queen and she's trying to poison one of the suitors whose name is Brandon. Which I already have so many questions about like... Who's Brandon? (laughs) Partially. And also did Daphne or did the Blue Queen know that Daphne was going to do that? Because she seemed to be right up... Like why did Daphne have to pretend like... I just didn't even understand what led to that point. but And why did she want to poison him? Was it just so Henry could take the throne? Well, no, I think he first he like attacked. He was the one who attacked her in the hallway. Oh, right, right, right. So I think he was like bad news. And for multiple reasons, maybe she could tell. But yeah, it also seemed like the Blue Queen and him were getting along. So I'm kind of confused how Daphne got into the middle of it. Like if the Blue Queen changed her mind or if the Blue Queen didn't know that Daphne was pretending to be her or like I was sort of like why is Daphne why isn't the Blue Queen just doing this? I think maybe the Blue Queen didn't do it because she didn't know that Brandon was bad news. I think he was like hiding his true colors from her and so Daphne was like that makes sense. So Daphne was like I'm gonna take matters in my own hands. I'm gonna get you out of the way so you don't hurt my friend. But there wasn't enough background for that to even make sense. And then, because didn't the Blue Queen come in right afterwards and kill Brandon or whatever his name is? Yeah, because he like forces the poison down Daphne's throat instead. And then they try to imprison, the Queen tries to imprison him and then he hits Henry and then Daphne starts a fire, burns him. So that was also, I was like, if the Blue Queen didn't know anything about this and she just walked in, why did she assume, like, I don't know. I sort of was like, how did she pick a side so quickly i mean i guess i don't know i I feel like we didn't actually flush out enough of daphne and the blue queen's friendship i think we had we had seen more of that because we knew that they were secretly sisters but they didn't i didn't know if they knew that yet or had figured it out or like how they became so close or what i don't know or even if we had seen daphne like trying to tell her sister that this guy was bad news and how daphne or how the blue queen reacted i don't i'm getting everyone's names confused because ultimately this guy dies, and they go to war, and somehow the Blue Queen turns herself into the mist. That's what got me, when all of yeah. a sudden it was like, oh, she didn't just create the mist, she became the mist. And I was like, how? What? Why? That's not a power? Yeah, was it on purpose? Did she? Yeah. How? I don't know. Like, she wasn't even an elemental, was she? Oh, no, she was. She was an elemental, but... But... But then that also brought up a lot of other questions. So even if that explains... Even if we just take it as fact, she could decide to become the mist to protect the island. Then I'm still confused by what she and or the mist, I don't even know if they're a, if it's a she or if it's still just the mist, is doing now. Like, how are they deciding to kill people or why are they deciding to kill people? And why does Mirabella have to be the one to die? Like, I'm sort of like, why can't even Arsenault die? Or how does, is it just because Mirabella is an elemental? And Yeah, that was the thing. And why, and why does she have to die? Or how does dying help anybody? Or I don't know. Exactly. It just seems like something invented to create conflict because it's like it doesn't make sense that her sister had to die to create the mist and so Mira has to die to unmake it like I don't know it just or or I I would buy it if there was more context like I can see reasons why that argument would make sense but we weren't given a reason and even the fact that Arsenault then leaves and she's like I'm going to try and come up with a different solution it's like you don't even know why that is the solution right so how would you come up with a different solution (laughs) Yeah, and then to your point, like, why is the mist even reacting the way it is? I mean, there's so many, there's still so many reasons why it could be doing what it's doing. Like, is it because Catherine has the undead queens inside her? Is it because Jules is rising up above her station? Is it because Arsenault and Mirabella aren't dead and just left? Is it because, right. yeah, there's so many things going on and we're not really sure. And we still don't have enough background on what the Blue Queen's motivation might have been anyways. To do what? Like, like we don't really know that much about the Blue Queen. Like, so she became the Mist, but, like, what, like, okay, protect the island initially, but, like, what could she possibly care about any of these things? The Dead Queens, the Jewels. Oh, right. Like, yeah. why would she care? You know, like, we just don't really know her very well. And the thing I liked about Daphne and the Blue Queen becoming friends was it sort of set the stage for there could be multiple sisters alive, right? But again, it wasn't clear to me when they figured that out or how they dealt with it or I don't know. I sort of felt like that was unexplored fully. Because do we, do they ever know or realize that they were sisters? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't think so because they never mention it and Daphne just like takes the place of the queen and is able to have the triplets. I guess it all depends if we think that the mist, aka the blue queen, is still like sentient and like still is able to process what's going on in the island. So like maybe But if that's the case, then don't you think there could be some way of reasoning with her instead <laughs> yeah. of That's where I'm like so confused. I don't get I don't get it. Or even, <laughs> or even, why does it have to be a queen who dies? Like, maybe an elemental has to die, but why? what about being a queen specifically? And a sister. Yeah. yeah. And if it is true that it's Mirabella, why did, is, did she still just go after Arsenault because of the low magic? I don't know. I still feel like there's, like, it's, like, halfway there. Yes. But I'm not all the way there. And, I mean, we still have another book, so maybe yes. we will get some better answers. I think just where I am now, I'm very confused and... Well, and again, it felt like a middle book because I didn't feel like I got enough satisfaction at the end of this book. So, yes, given the series as a whole, there's still a lot of questions or time to answer questions, but I didn't feel like we got really anything. I didn't feel like we've reached an ending, like if this was a standalone book or if this, like, you, this this can't stand alone. I'm rambling. But right, right. Agreed. <laughs> I was just going to say the two things I did like, though, were the fact that Mirabella was struggling because she, I think I said this in the last time we talked. It's like she went from being super important to like not really having a role. So I'm glad that like she was struggling with that, too. And then the second thing was I forget who said it, but when they were trying to convince Mirabella to join Catherine at the end of the book, someone said, I know you love Arsenault, but you used to love them both. And that's what I've been saying, like, since yep, the, whole the beginning. Time. I'm like, what about the fact that Catherine is also their sister that they loved? So I am glad to see that. And I think that was, like, good plot building right there. Like, because you called it where you were like, Mirabella's not going to be satisfied, satisfied by just being the help. Like, she yep. was meant to be queen. Like, there's going to be something that, like, bubbles up within her. And, yep. and you were totally right. And they planted that well. And... You know, the idea that, like, she could still almost rule with Catherine, like, that could be mm -hmm. an option. You can understand why that would be appealing to her, so. Or again, just appealing to this idea, like, I get why Arsenault supports Jules, but Mirabella was so traditional and everything. It's like, why would she want some out of control? Because at this point, Jules is out of control, out of control, <laughs> non-queen to rule their country that she I, I mean, I think there's a part of her, too, that thinks a queen should rule, even if it's not yeah. her. Yeah, and, like, she probably does care about the country that she was meant to rule. Like, she yeah. thought she was. And yeah, how she... can you go from... And she thought she was. Mm -hmm. It's not like she never wanted it. She wanted it, and then she just didn't want to kill her sisters. So, I don't know. I, I'm excited to see that more. And again, I just felt like it took a long time to get there. Because both those things happened in, I don't know, the last 50 pages or something. So it was just yeah. a little bit of a slow build for me, this book. Agreed. But I did think that part was plotted well. Yeah. The one thing that I'm really bothered by is Jules at the end of this book has kind of lost control of her powers and the Legion curse is like rising up and she's having these outbursts. She's gone quote unquote crazy. Mm -hmm. But here's my problem. So when Madrigal was having the baby and she thought she was going to die, mm -hmm. she, she specifically told Jules... Do you think I would have been so stupid as to create a binding of your curse that would end when I died? Yeah. Like, they went out of the way to tell us that. Yeah. Right. And so, Jules, she was like, you have to purposely make the choice to break the binding if you want your war gift to come loose. And then at the end, when Madrigal gets stabbed by Catherine, all of a sudden Jules goes crazy. And I was just like, wait, no. Like, you told us that wasn't going to happen. Like, I don't I know. Understand. I agree. I think... Part of it was just like the emo like I think part of it was her emotional reaction to losing her mother and seeing her mother yeah. get stabbed in front of her. But I agree it wasn't that's like me kind of grasping at straws that weren't all there, especially because she had such a weird relationship with her mother. Like it would I mean, not that she wanted to see her dead at sure. any point, but it wasn't like I don't know. They weren't like so close that I like super bought that that would like throw her over the edge. I don't know. Yeah. And I I just I mean, maybe we'll see her in the next book and she won't have, you know, she'll, she, maybe it'll be like Madrigal's prophecy with the baby, which I actually really liked, where the vision that she had of the baby was the baby alive and strong, but on top of her corpse. And so she was convinced that she was going to die having the baby. Mm -hmm. And... Was it Willa? No, it was Kara who was like, oh my god, le like, stop thinking about the prophecy or stop thinking about the vision. Just, like, have the baby. You can do it. And she did. Yeah. And she lived. 
Yeah. And so maybe it'll be something like that where Jules initially thinks that the Legion curse is, you know, upon her or the gift was unbound. Yeah, where it can be mind over prophecy. <laughs> yeah. And she can be like, oh, wait, actually, it's still bound. I'm fine. I got it. I had a bad moment, but let's regroup. Yep. Because I love that. I love that idea with the prophecy of being like, oh my, and you say this all the time. You're like, prophecies can mean anything. It's just a prophecy. Like, you have no idea how it actually is going to turn out. Like, in this case, yes, Madrigal did die, but she didn't die having the baby like she thought. Yeah. And what are the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Which I guess right. it has a little prophecy in it. But yeah, you can like, by believing something's going to come true, you can make it happen. And I actually, I just read the book. Have you read The Immortalist? No. So it's about these this family of four kids who, when they're kids, they, like, go and see a psychic, and she tells each of them the day they're going to die. <laughs> and it's, like, them each dealing with having that information and whether or not they believe it and how it, like, impacts the way they live their life oh, throughout the rest of the book. But it's, like, really interesting and kind of deals with that same idea of, like, what do you bring about just by believing it's going to happen? Or, you know, how do you – Yeah. It's something I struggle with, as we know, because I'm... I also think it's just... It can be a... I don't know. I, I just feel weird about future telling in general. Yeah, I agree. I feel like if you le- if you learn something, you automatically kind of steer yourself towards that outcome. Mm-hmm. Whether it's subconsciously or consciously, I think it's just like... Yeah, it's like... A, it's like By being said, focused on that yeah. prophecy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you, you don't allow yourself to consider any other outcomes, which is dangerous. So there's still a lot going on. It is. And I don't know. I thought that like... Can we talk about the dead queen still too? Because that's the oh, other yeah, that's what big I thing that's up. happening yeah. and okay. is unanswered. So... <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Catherine and the dead queens are both in her... Like, so Catherine is still in there and we have gotten... I think she has become a little bit less of a villain this time. Not... Or she's still a villain, but you're we're seeing more of they're forcing her hand on certain things. Like she didn't yeah. want to kill the kid and she didn't want to kill Madrigal. But... And she's finally agreed to try to remove them from herself or whatever. I don't yeah. even know how to use to like excise them or whatever. Ex- yeah, exercise. Nope. <laughs> what do you call it when you have an exorcism? Excise. Yeah. I think. Do do an exorcism. Do an exorcism on herself. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what what's his name? Peter has been trying to get her to do like for a book and a half at this point. <laughs> and Madrigal, who's the person we know, who knows the most about low magic in this whole series and is now dead gave him some information but even she wasn't really sure and he kind of didn't even do everything she told him to which was also interesting like he right i was like why didn't he just wait another day and go get more rocks i know or like why did that even i mean i guess maybe that's why the spell went so badly when he did try to excise the dead queens like he yeah i guess we don't know why it happened but part of me was like if this is so important and she told you how important it was why didn't you just go and get more rocks the second day (laughs) like because part of it was so he he had to get rocks from the Baraka domain or whatever it's called yeah and he like went at night and like got a bunch but it was really really hard and took forever and he (laughs) didn't get enough for a complete circle like he was told and again part of me is just like okay so know how important this is yeah (laughs) like don't (laughs) Don't don't mess around with low magic. If we've learned anything in this book, if you're gonna excise some dead queens, you need to do it properly. <laughs> Follow the rules, men, and following directions. Am I right? Oh my god, yes, <laughs> classic example. And I liked how um, Catherine finally agrees to mm-hmm. let go of the dead queens. I think because in part when they c- convinced her to kill Magical against her will, I think that kind of solidified it for her where she was like, oh my gosh, I'm not in control. Like these queens are taken over. But also the idea that Mira might come and rule with her. She was like, with Mirabella at my side, I won't need the dead queens, which I mm-hmm. kind of, I liked that. Question. But then... <laughs> First of all, okay. going back to our ongoing prediction, do you still think Jules and all three sisters are going to be alive at the end of book four? Yeah, I do. Oh, I'm kind of <laughs> starting to think maybe you're right, but I refuse to admit it. I'm not changing my stance. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what happens when they do oh half of an exorcism? <laughs> <laughs> so when an exorcism goes wrong, what happens is the dead queens come out of your body and they go into the person who messed up the exorcism in the first place. <laughs> but I was also confused because is Catherine still there at all? It felt like they took over Catherine's body fully and then... Filled Peter up? Kissed him or something and went into him. 
But yeah, so I'm kind of confused by if either or both of them are alive, but they the queens are now in both of them too, or the queens have taken over Peter's body and Catherine's alive, or Catherine's dead and Peter's possessed by the queens, or or Peter like... can't handle the queens, but Catherine could because she was a queen. Like I'm curious to see what the next scene is. <laughs> Me too. And I mean, that that was always a worry that like without the dead queens, maybe Catherine would be dead herself or would mm-hmm. be no one. Like maybe they're the only reason why she was still alive. So I'm, I agree with you. I really want to see if Catherine is her old self or, you know, maybe an improved version of herself where she like wants to really be helpful and help her country mm-hmm. and be a good ruler. Peter seems like he's pretty much up a up shit's creek right now. Yeah, I can't imagine him coming <laughs> back from this. To be honest. Me either. And maybe like him dying will affect Catherine in some bad way. But what I'm not sure about, I can't tell. Okay, so I think that he, I think the queens killed him. What I'm not sure is if the queens killed him and like now are in his body or if the queens <laughs> killed him and they're back in Mirabella, or not Mirabella, back in Catherine's body. Or maybe they're loose in the world. Or or that, yeah. I mean, I feel like Peter's dead, but I don't know where the queens are. <laughs> I agreed. Um, part of me hopes that, this is what I hope happens. I hope Peter's dead, Catherine's a great version of herself, Mira comes back, wants to rule with Catherine, they make amends, and, and maybe this last book will be about, instead of like Arsenault and Mira, maybe it'll be about Arsenault and Catherine, like coming together and trying to figure something out because we still know that Catherine cannot bear the triplets. So maybe we'll get like a Blue Queen Daphne situation where like That's true. Mira secretly bears the, tw- the triplets, but Catherine is still like the queen figurehead or whatever. And then Arsenault, but- I don't know. I feel bad because everyone's like, Arsenault doesn't matter. And I don't want to like repeat that or have that come to fruition. But right now I'm like, Arsenault, girl, what are you doing? Well, is Arsenal going to choose to be on Jules' side, and are we going to have two ver- two queens versus two queens, even though one isn't a real queen? But Against that can't even maybe. happen until Jules gets at least her sanity back, if not yeah. more than that. But I also don't feel like Jules and Arsenal care that much about, like, I feel like if they're together they and she's free, I don't know. I like, yeah, I don't really get what a happy ending looks like, to be honest. I feel like Maybe we don't die. get a happy ending. Yeah, I feel maybe... like someone Maybe everyone dies and Elizabeth and Brie just rule the world. And I still think Arsenault is the one to die. I still think if anyone's going to die, it's Arsenault. You you really want her to die. (laughs) (laughs) Just kill her off already. No, I'm just kidding. No, but in part because she's the most likable. She's friends with every, or she has the most friends. So, I mean, you know, now she's close to Jules and Mira, Bella. Mm -hmm. And... Or Billy's going to die. No, I don't think he's going to die because Joseph already died. Joseph and Peter. Well, I guess we don't know. Maybe Peter's still alive. But <laughs> yeah, we've lost a lot of plus ones so far. I, I just don't see Arsenault leaving Jules. Even if Jules does go crazy and never gets her sanity back, I can't see Arsenault leaving her. I can't see her leaving her either, but I also don't... I could see her convincing Jules, like, just taking... Like, be like, leave us alone. I can't see her... But, like, if Jules wants to... Because I can't imagine her fighting against her sister still either. And she didn't want to get involved in the war at all. Remember, she volunteered Billy and Mirabella and didn't go herself. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That made me so mad. It made me so mad. Not at Arsenault. It made me mad at Billa and Mira. It made me mad at everybody. I was like, this is, like, a second grade problem, guys. Oh, they were so, like, childish to her. Because, like, I don't know, it didn't seem like... I mean, yes, she involved them in the war, but, like, what did what did they think was going to happen? And then Billy was like, well, we're not talking to you until it's over. <laughs> I was just like, oh, shut up. Oh, I didn't even remember that part. But I do... I mean, I kind of agree. Like, Arsenault shouldn't have done that and should have thought about it. But they also have mouths and have yes. been opinionated thus far, so they should have just said something if they didn't want to do it. Like, they didn't have to get mad at Arsenault, or especially... And I felt like Arsenault was like, I'll go tell them you don't want to do it. I, I don't know. I, I agree. I think it was like a... Third grade problem, though. I think mm-hmm. everyone was being immature about it. Yes. Well, I guess <sighs> we'll figure out. We'll see what happens in the next book, then. I, well, I, I guess I don't know how long it is yet, because I don't have it. Again, I feel like there's still, like, I'm curious if we get more of the Blue Queen and stuff, or if, like, now that the message has been delivered. Like, I'm curious how much more we get of even 
Uh, someone asked this, what is the purpose of the other angry queens, the dead queens? Like, are they, they wanted the crown, but then they got the crown. Or are they just trying to protect the crown or what? Like, I'm curious if there was something between them and the blue queens specifically or mm. how all these, how much more the history of the island and the previous queens is going to impact what's going on. Oh, I don't know. I always thought it was just like, these are the queens who didn't make it. And now they're all like, they all want the crown because you know, they lost it in the first place. I didn't know, I didn't think that was related to the Blue Queen at all. I don't think it is yet, but I also, I'm just curious to see how things end up, like, if if now that the Blue Queen's delivered her message, is she going to disappear again? Or are we going to get more of this, like, history and stuff going on? Yeah. I don't know. Good question. Also, good, interesting question. Do you think that that vision of Jules on a battlefield in Camden's fur red with blood do you think that was already fulfilled by um jules and what she did after magical died i don't know i'm like not into this whole future (laughs) thing so i just kind of try to not think about them too much okay i mean and i don't mean that and to be mean i just i didn't think about it that much to be honest although here's another question i have too so what about jules's half brother how is that going to come back in to play was that just a method of making magical more likable or like conflict or do you think the brother the baby is gonna have something to do with the plot Ooh, that's interesting i didn't really think of that even though that the baby inspired my research that's a good question i kind of hope so so what did you what did you research so i researched cesarean sections oh ooh, okay <laughs> so is this gonna I... freak me out am i never no. gonna really have children okay no, no no it won't so i i don't know i just like thought the scene was kind of interesting when Madrigal was like really freaking out because she thought that the baby was going to kill her and Mm -hmm. she was kind of like resigned to that and so she asks Willa to get the knives to cut the baby out of her and so that just led me down the whole cesarean section research um so I will tell you a little bit about the history of c-sections so okay they date back as far as ancient roman times what is that? Like, why are they called C-sections? Oh, so, no, right. Cesarean stupid question. Yeah, okay, I got it. I, I, I figured well, it out. No, okay, so this is kind of interesting because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it, it was widely suggested that Julius Caesar was named after Caesarian, Caesarian sections, and it was widely believed that he was named so because he was the product of a c-section so they believed his mom had a c-section and that's why he was named that that way but that's not true (laughs) it's really not true so it's it it was more likely that possibly he was named after an ancestor who was born via c-section not himself because back then a c-section procedure was an absolute last resort and it was only used whenever a mother had already died or who was like basically in the process of dying like yeah that was the only option kind of thing and Mm -hmm. they didn't have the um didn't have the tools necessary to make a a woman be able to live through that so so actually julius caesar's mother aurelia she lived through his childbirth and she saw him you know she saw him grown so it's not possible that julius caesar was born by (laughs) c-section okay back in the day yep right but this is interesting so Roman law under Caesar decreed that all women who were either dying during childbirth or who had already died had to be cut open and the child had to be saved. And this was because, one, the state was really concerned with increasing its population, so they would never let a child die with the mother. And Hmm. another reason was because, according to the religion back then, it was considered not taboo, but you you couldn't bury a pregnant woman, like a a woman with a child still inside her. It was considered, like, sacrilegious to do that. Hmm. So... Under Roman law, if a woman was struggling during childbirth and had perished or was already dying, the baby would always be cut out. Well, so why would they not do that, actually? Like, if the mother was dead and was pregnant, are there other cultures that would just be like, Um, too bad? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, you would think, like, that would be the logical thing to do. Or I guess maybe just, like, how strict you are about it in terms of, like, how close to death or when you decide maybe was impacted, but... Exactly. Like, I can't imagine someone being dead and being like, well, there was a baby in there, but, well, maybe. I guess maybe someone just died and assumed that the baby was dead or something? I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Continue. 
That is actually interesting because the first case of a mother surviving a C-section was in Switzerland in 1580, and it was the wife of a farmer, so he was a pig gelder. That Mm -hmm. sounds like a terrible profession. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) And he performed the operation on his wife. She had been laboring for days and was had like 13 midwives and she wasn't progressing. So he eventually gains permission from the authorities to attempt a C-section and she lived and she gave birth to five children after that, including twins. Wow. Yeah. But this is kind of interesting because they said that one of the reasons why she may have survived was because, you know, he, he was a person who lived in like a rural countryside and that doesn't sound like that would be conducive to like yeah that sounds not good sanitation or you know people with medical professions but actually it might have saved her because hospitals in those times were like really crowded and infection was hmm. rampant essentially like other patients spread infection to each other really easily and also a doctor would have waited until the mother was dying to perform the C-section whereas this farmer was like Hey, I'm just going to do it now because I'm going to try and help. Yeah. I'm trying it's to help. It's taking too long and, and yeah. Right. So the fact that she was like isolated in a countryside and that he did it before she was, you know, had lost a lot of blood or was already struggling, that probably was helped her survive. Well, well that was going to be my other question. So were the original C were they ne- if if you're waiting until someone's dead or so close to dying that that's you think your only option, you're probably not even trying to preserve right like your your mission you know like it's different if you're trying to just save the baby versus like i think in modern times at least c-sections are now ideally you're helping mother and baby exactly yeah (laughs) so then in the 16th and 17th centuries uh during the renaissance there were a lot of works that came out that were super important that detailed human anatomy so like vesalius's figure and you know there was just a lot of really good medical and anatomical texts that came out that helped immensely. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the 1800s, we learned from a previous episode all about body snatching and how important cadavers were to medicine. Mm -hmm. And that really helped a lot and helped medical students kind of learn anatomy through dissection. And then like with the development of anesthesia in the 19th century, basically everything kind of led to the to the to the practice of using a C-section to preserve the life of both mother and child. Is there, this is probably a really ignorant question, but you can give birth naturally after you've had a C-section, right? Yeah. But is it, is it suggested or why? I feel like I've heard that like you're more likely to have a C-section or, or something if you've had one before. Is that just because your body probably, will, you'll have similar difficulties the second time? Or is it because you're body's been cut up in once and it's easier or do you know anything about why you might have a second c-section over Um, delivery naturally a little bit so that's called a vbac so like vaginal birth after cesarean and i think i mean i was i was born uh vbac actually (laughs) oh so my mom had a c-section with my sister but i was not a c-section so it's definitely possible i think it just depends on your health and probably placement of the baby i don't know if like because you had had one if there if you were more likely to have a second one either because you'd likely have a similar whatever caused the first one or because you know you've already been cut open maybe it was i don't know i don't know but to your point babies are born vbac yeah I think it just depends and, on... And they grow up and become podcasters. And <laughs> hey, live wonderful lives. We live to tell the tale. <laughs> yeah, so what else did I learn? This is crazy. So there was an instance of a woman performing her own C-section in March... Oh my goodness. 2000, so fairly recently. So Inez Ramirez Perez was a woman who performed a c-section on herself despite having no medical training and why because that was the only option or she was trying to prove a point or like how did this even come to be so it does not say the circumstances of why this happened um i don't i don't know what her reasonings were for you know not not being able to go to a hospital i don't know not having access or something Mm -hmm. but she basically had 12 hours of labor and then 
said she sat down on a bench and drank three small glasses of hard liquor and then used a almost a, a five and a half inch kitchen knife to cut herself open. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have nightmares. I'm going to have nightmares. Um, so she operated on herself for an hour before by, was she... Was anyone with her? I don't know. I, I think she was by herself. I can't imagine someone, someone else. seeing that and being like, let's get, let's not get you to hospital. Like, hey, keep going. Like, see, let's see how this pans out. Like, although if I were with you, I'd probably be like, oh my goodness, this is grossing me out. I have to go sit like, down and like be over. no help whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she delivered the baby boy. She used scissors to cut the umbilical cord. And then she said she became, and then she became unconscious. It says it's amazing. She lasted that long. It is amazing. Like people, I guess in general, but especially women and women with their children are just like it's incredible what they're capable of oh my gosh yeah giving birth period sounds like something i'm not sure i can do but i hope someday (laughs) giving birth for 12 or being in labor for 12 hours sounds miserable having a c-section after being in labor for 12 hours doesn't sound fun having a c-section not in the hospital after 12 hours like and then doing it and having to do it yourself Uh, like literally that just like kept amplifying and i'm gonna ah okay (laughs) Okay, but I'm this good. must have a good outcome. Like, I feel like she must have been in a very desperate situation to have done this. But she, like, used clothes to bandage the wound after she regained consciousness. And then she sent one of her older sons to find help. So eventually... I mean, again, I assume she must have been, like, this is the option to keep my child alive, right? I yeah. mean, like, you gotta assume that that's... Yeah. So eventually oh she was taken to a local clinic um, and then to the nearest hospital, which was eight hours away. Wow. And they did emergency repair on the incision sites, and then she was released from the hospital on the 10th day following her surgery and went on to make a complete recovery. And she said... It's incredible. Yeah. She, she, she basically said that um, although she's glad that everything worked out for her and her baby, she does not advise other women to follow her example. <laughs> don't try this at home. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, no, I I don't I literally don't think I'd be capable. Like I would, no, I hope I that I can lift cars off my child and do whatever it takes. But I think that might be outside of my <laughs> the limit of my abilities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. So an estimated thirty two percent of all births are C sections recently. What is the survival rate these days? Is it? Um, I don't know. I I didn't look that up, but I bet it depends on where you live. That's fair. But anyway, yeah, that was my research. Oh, I also researched something very briefly. But so we received an email from a very good fan, a very devoted fan. His name is Steph. And she told us that um, very nicely that Arsinoe's name is actually pronounced Arsinoi. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) Which I don't think I'll be able to make that change for this next (laughs) book. But um, that was kind of interesting because then I was looking up, I just typed in Arsinoe and I was like, I wonder if this character is named after anyone in particular. And so Arsinoi is the youngest daughter of Ptolemy, Ptolemy the 12th, and she was born somewhere around 68 BCE, and she was the half-sister of Cleopatra. Huh. And this is kind of interesting. So for her role in conducting the siege of Alexandra against her sister, Cleopatra, Arsinoe was taken as a prisoner of war to Rome by Julius Caesar. And then she was executed. But I thought it was kind of interesting that she, like, led a siege against her sister, which is kind of like two queens battling it out. That is interesting. And I feel she like... was executed, so maybe your prediction will come true and Arsinoi will not live to see the end of this book. Yeah, I, I was totally referencing um, Egyptian historic <laughs> true events when I made that. No, I'm just but... but thank you, Steph, for um, giving us that little bit of research. Yeah, and letting us know how to pronounce things because we all know I am not good at it. <laughs> Neither of us are. <laughs> what did cool. you research? So, first... Okay, have you ever heard of the two, wait, I can't even read this number, 20, no, 29,029 Everestine, have you ever heard of that? It, no. Is this about <laughs> You're like, Mount I don't even Everest? know what you said. <laughs> yeah. So there's, okay, so in, in this book, <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenoy and Billy climb a mountain at one point and it's hard. And okay. so... <laughs> 
similarly, there's this thing where people, it's called, so, okay, I'm not explaining this very well. Someone I follow on Instagram just posted this thing this weekend and I thought it was fascinating. But I guess in Vermont and Utah, they have basically a challenge where you spend a weekend trying to climb as much as if you climbed Everest. So you go up and down the same mountain like 13 times in 36 hours to try to see if you have what it takes or whatever. So I thought that was kind of cool. And now I want to do it. But that wasn't really what I researched. Okay. So, okay. So we have this mist. <laughs> you know, I have to paint. I have to draw the conclusion for you. A so very that long this conclusion. Makes, yep. Yeah. So we have this mist and it started stealing bodies and whatever in the middle of a battle mm-hmm. or an, an almost battle. And so the battle didn't really happen and the outcome without the mist was different than the outcome with the mist. <laughs> So I looked into times weather changed history. Oh, okay. You really tied that back together well. <laughs> like, in all honesty, that was good. Okay, I'm excited. So um, the first, and most of these are battle, I was looking up kind of like, yeah, battle war related type mm. weather events. So uh, the first one was, have you heard of a city called Kokura? Kokura. Nope. But you have heard of a city called Nagasaki, have you not? Yes. So on August 8th, the second nuclear bomb was supposed to hit Kokura, but the cloud cover was too heavy, so they had to go to their second backup target, which was Nagasaki. Are you serious? (gasps) Isn't that crazy? Oh my god. That's And similarly, or whatever, Hiroshima had a very sunny summer day, and therefore... They were bombed as planned. Oh, my God. I mean, it's awful regardless, but to think that something, like, so devastating and just completely life-changing happened because of weather. Oh, my God. I and never it's also that. kind of, it's kind of funny, or funny is the wrong word, but, like, to think of, like, that's how much, we weren't, like, trying to yeah, bomb, we like, it wasn't like, this is where we want to bomb, we're going to wait for the weather. We were Oof. like, we need to demonstrate our bomb ability so if we can't bomb this place we'll just go bomb over here i'm summarizing it but yeah that's terrible oh that makes me sick um this this one i have heard about before um and actually i have some personal connections to napoleon because i lived in waterloo where he was defeated but uh (laughs) napoleon had this bold plan to march into russia and was super confident and they pillaged the city and did all kinds of stuff, and then they kind of forgot that winter is very, very cold there. In Siberia, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, temperatures fell to minus 40 degrees Celsius while they were there, and his soldiers fell to frostbite and starvation, and they said in one 24-hour period, 50,000 horses died from the cold. Oh, my God. And of the 600,000 men who marched into Russia, only 150,000 were able to eventually make it home. And it was sort of kind of the beginning of the end for Napoleon and his empire. So he was overconfident. What an idiot. Well, here's where it gets really stupid. So then Hitler, I guess, didn't read anything about what Napoleon forgot to do. And um, in September 1941, he did Operation Typhoon, which was supposed to sweep out the entire Soviet Union. The German army, like, brought dress uniforms because they thought it was going to be so easy. So they also didn't bring winter clothing. And that was kind of one of the turning points in World War II because... Because of a wardrobe malfunction? It was not so easy to take... It was not easy to take Russia and it was really, really cold and they were completely unprepared for the weather. But it was, again, extra stupid because, like, history should have told him more. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he he learned nothing, clearly. Which, I mean... Ultimately, I guess we're glad that he did not yes, read about Napoleon, but but still, it's like, come on, man. Yeah, that seems like a very Bring a sweater. stupid mistake to make for someone who rose as far as he did. Yeah, and during the two-front battle, you know, yeah. I mean, some of the other stuff going on with, yeah, just, again, this kind of overconfident yeah. thing. Okay, so um, August 30th, 1800, you know, was almost the day that thousands of slaves in Richmond, Virginia, followed a man named Gabriel and rose up against their masters and took the city armory and freed all the slaves. But there was a really violent rainstorm, and so not enough people knew about the plot, and it failed. (laughs) Oh, man. Did they ever regroup and and try a different day? I didn't get a follow-up on how they... I just heard about when weather ruined plans, so... So in 1588, King Philip II of Spain 
was planning to invade England with the Spanish Armada. And this was kind of like the Protestant versus the Catholic thing. Things were going fine, and some boats were just waiting around, and while they were anchored there waiting for everyone else to catch up, the English attacked, and they sent eight burning ships into the harbor. But there were really high winds and waves, (laughs) plus the fire ships, so basically the wind and the waves made the fire ships all the worse, and... Um, they decided to go back to Spain, but most of them couldn't get out. So less than half of the 130 ship fleet was able to make it home and 20,000 wow. troops perished. Wow. They were burned or like... Yeah. So the they were either damaged or bur- trying to get away That's or burned. Crazy. So yeah, they used to do this thing where they would like basically put a ton of um, ammunition and mm-hmm. stuff on a ship and like light it on fire and send it towards... Like that was like... Yep. If they didn't have enough men, but add on top of this this huge storm so then queen elizabeth said that the storm was actually god like agreeing with the protestants like oh okay of course against the catholics (laughs) so you know like um it was god blue and they were scattered it was like divine intervention to make this oh wow (laughs) whether whether you believe that or not is your choice (laughs) sounds like queen elizabeth did (laughs) or she was just smart yeah i mean that's one way to like she's a woman not a man so she yeah, that's to your advantage. So another person who claimed God was on their side was the emperor in Japan in 1274 and 1281 mm-hmm. um, when Kublai Khan's Mongol fleets failed to conquer Japan because there were two major typhoons that destroyed his ships. Ooh. So the story goes that the emperor summoned the kamikaze, or the divine winds, to save Japan. So, Yeah. I mean, that I yeah, I feel like if you're emperor and you can make that claim, go for it. <laughs> I also feel like, I mean, if you get two, if it happens twice. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, even if you were just joking the first time, I'd start to kind of be like, well, maybe I am all powerful. Uh, yeah. we, you know, like that thing where we, you asked, like, how long would you have to live before you wondered if you were immortal? Right. Like, how many storms would you have to, like, call and they came before you were like, I can control the weather. I am God. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, those are some well, of my fun stories. That actually reminds me, when I was really little, my friends and I were playing outside and they had a soccer game and they were going to have to leave. And we were like really disappointed that they would have to leave and we'd have to stop playing to go to their soccer game. So we decided mm-hmm. we were going to do a rain dance to try and mm-hmm. like make it rain so they wouldn't have to go to their soccer game. And we did a rain dance for like, which I, I, I don't think that's like a proper thing to do anymore. Like that sounds like that's not not something that was anyway we did a rain dance not politically correct or exactly something. yeah yeah and we caused a flash flood <laughs> <laughs> well similarly when i was younger we were in huntsville alabama visiting some friends for new year's and we were supposed to leave the next day but we decided to do a snow dance okay i like gathered all these children i like made them copy me and we did this like you know like we like yep. sang out to the weather gods and um, to make it snow so that we wouldn't be able to leave the next day. And it did snow, but we had to leave early to avoid the snow. Oh, and so it backfired. Really backfired. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but we did call the weather. So yeah. So basically, you and I are gods. We're pretty much got super We're both we're elemental. pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> we're basically Mirabella. Yeah. We could die and become mist or die and remove mist. Either one. <laughs> as long as we get to rule Fenburn together. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Uh, well. So speaking of... Queens and their power. Mm-hmm. We mentioned this earlier, but our next for next week, because we don't have time for the fourth book to come out and start reading, we are gonna read the two novellas for this series. Did I jump ahead? Did you no. want to ask more questions nope. about the book? Okay. Um so there's two of them. One is called The Young Queens, and it's do you want me just to read the Oh yeah, go for it. thing? Okay. Mirabella, Arsenault, and Catherine weren't always plotting each other's death. They used to be together, just three sisters alone in a glen. Get a rare look at the young queens after they were born, before they were separated, during a short period of time when they protected and loved one another. From their birth until they were claimed by their families, this is the story of the three sisters' lives before they were at stake. That's exactly what I want. I know. I'm really excited for this. And then the other one, the other one is called the Oracle Queen. You can read it if you have it, or I can read it. I don't have it. (laughs) Okay, no, that's fine. Um, The legendary reign of the last Oracle Queen is one tinged with blood and horror. Paranoid, ruthless, and utterly mad, Queen Elsevet's obsessive mistrust led to the senseless slaying of three entire houses of innocent people. Mm. At least that's the unchallenged tale carried down from generation to generation. But what really happened? 
discovered the true story behind the queen who, though born with the gift of sight, could not foresee her swift and sudden fall from power until it was too late. Cool. Okay. And they are, they're both, like, there's ebook versions out, and there's also a hardback version called Queens of Fine Burn that has both of them in it. And they're both, like, 100 pages each, or 100 plus pages each. Perfect. We will read those for next week, then. And hopefully that will give us some more context for whatever comes about in book four. Here's hoping. <laughs> and technically it was written, I forget after which book, but, like, it was written in the middle of the series, so I don't feel bad reading. Like, I don't think we're going to spoil anything no, for I ourselves. Think, I mean, they're all out now, so. Exactly. Um, exactly. Do you have a joke for me? Oh, I just got nervous because I was like, oh, no, it's my turn to tell a joke and I didn't <laughs> pull one up. But, okay, so I got married a little bit ago, and my mom was supposed to walk down the aisle with one of James's friends that she had never met. And so I guess at the rehearsal, she told him, like, I'm going to be really emotional. Tell me a joke Aww. so that I don't cry. And so that was, like, his – he was tasked with this, this job. And I'm trying to remember what the joke was, but – okay, yeah. What type of tree fits in one hand? Mm. A pine? I don't know. A palm tree. Oh, I was like, if I had thought about that a little more, maybe you would have gotten it. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> if you ever watch my wedding video and you see my mom laughing when she walks down the aisle, that was the joke. That's adorable. I love that. Thank you, Dustin. <laughs> okay. Anything else we have to do? Oh, what? if you have other jokes or stories or want to tell us how to pronounce things properly or you can control the weather and want to tell us we're doing it wrong <laughs> you can reach if you brought about a flash flood or a snowstorm <laughs> or a kamikaze typhoon either or you can reach us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or on facebook or instagram at mnktalkya okay and i'm gonna go get the books right now for next week bye bookworms go get a library card <laughs> <laughs> M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford Original music composition by Timothy Milkey Logo design by Marissa Snyder For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.